0: Hey, there's a crew. How are y'all doing?
1: Very good, sir. Good,
0: good. good.
1: <laughs> oh, you're fine. I don't
0: <laughs> see All right, let's start <laughs> finding some stuff. I just watched it for the last minutes. Y'all got any questions or anything you'd like to talk about before we get going? not hear anything, <laughs> Can you hear me? I can hear you. Okay. All right. Yeah, you all have any questions, anything on your mind you'd like to talk about before we dive in tonight? I do. I posted, all right.
1: Uh, earlier on the death oh, of last. What's of that, line? Peggy? So I liked your YouTube video. It seemed like you posted it today. Okay. And uh, right, at, right before you posted it. This is uh, I was I'm not talking-
2: getting any uh, any sound. Are the rest
0: of you getting sound? If you're getting sound, raise your hand. Lamar, everybody's got sound. Getting sound. I got a problem with my computer, I guess. All right, log out and log back in. Keep going, Peggy.
1: So, um, a good a good friend. Um, his son was killed in a car accident on. I'm so sorry. It, it's his son is 17, and him and his girlfriend were in a car accident in New Braunfels. and um was I my hand and, and your uh, video was read sure. timely. I I was good enough to get out the house with this, oh. I maybe mean, I'll just
0: modulate no, I just need I'm so glad. Thanks be to God.
1: Anyway, your post, it, it was just sort of interesting on your yeah. timing.
0: Every once in a while I get to thinking there's a God in heaven. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> this this strange <laughs> feeling I got sometimes. Yeah, sure Linda, you had a question?
2: Yeah, um, and I know you've told us
0: this before, but will you please remind me? When you do the candle service like you did tonight, so mm-hmm. and you're saying prayer and you speak, and are you're and you
1: say it in a high voice and then you say it in a low. Yeah. yeah I'm so Explain that to me again.
0: <laughs> sure. So um during the collect, um, you can you can speak a collect, but understand when the church sings, um it it does so to teach. And so when we when we do the the collect, um, oh Lord, oh god, oh Lord Almighty Father, everlasting God, you have safely brought us to the beginning of this day. Defend us in the same with your mighty power. Um we we, we change the pitch to kind of actually point to what's being done. So inside of a collect, there there's um four major parts of it. Um, There's the introduction to God. There's also a a description of who our God is, of what our God does. So that when we start to pray, we pray from a a position of confidence. This is a thing that our God not only can do, but likes to do. And so asking for this thing is right in line with his word. It helps both us find confidence in it and also know that we're praying for good things. Um, so if I start to, to pray that um, I would be successful in carjacking, um, I have a hard time finding Bible stories that relate to that. And so I can't pray a it this way. But if I, I want to be safely brought from this day, um, I can find all sorts of that. Um, so when, when the pitch drops, um, that goes into um, to the actual petition, the thing that we're asking God for. Um, and so as you, you listen to the pitches change, um, where we're kind of trying to direct you, uh, to the differences, uh, in in the parts of the prayer, um, honestly, we can do it while talking too. Um, I kind of do it when, when I preach, I, somebody told me I preach like a slam poet and after I got done having my feelings hurt, um, I, um, I, I started to recognize that, um, my pacing is intentional, um, that, that, um, even by speeding up. And by talking louder, and by, by gesturing, like you, you're pointing to the fact something's happening here. Um, the, the, the change in pitch is really just the same thing. Does that kind of answer your question? Awesome. Anybody else got anything? <laughs> <laughs> is there a different collect for every day? And are they
1: the same every January 1st, every January 2nd?
0: Is there a different collect? There are colleagues laid out for the election. Um, so that by this Sunday, so the 5th Sunday and Easter, the 6th Sunday and Easter um, and the 3-year and the 1-year lectionary there's colics laid out for all of them um, the 3-year lectionary, because it's just, it's a much newer thing um, they, They're not some of them are much newer colics but some of the colics that we pray in the historic lectionary, like they go back into the 2nd century, um, they, they've been translated and carried forward for, for thousands of years good anybody else got anything?
2: Just want to say hello, Pastor. It's Walter and hey, Caroline. How you doing, Walter? She's home.
0: Good. How's she feeling?
2: And I don't know. She can't move for 12 weeks, so she's, but she's up here, and Kimberly's going to take care of her. So thanks all for your prayers.
0: Of course. I'm glad to hear that she's, she's home and resting.
2: Yep. It's great. Thank you.
0: You bet. All right. Anybody else? All right. Can you see the uh, the text for our large catechism on your screen? No, let's give that another shot. Um, we are in the middle of the second commandment uh, right now. Um, and um, at a wonderful point in time where we actually kind of, as we, we start to, to talk about um, the second commandment, we understand um, that based out of the first commandment, we can learn something about God. Um, God is a good gift giver. That's, that's what we're supposed to learn from the first commandment, that God calls us to receive all gifts from him as if they were, are good. Um, he actually wants to be God to you. And that means um, that, that what he gives us inside of the second commandment is a good gift. Um, there we go. So going into the second commandment, we are at paragraph 56. Um, what we want to recognize is when God gives you, your na- gives you his name, because the second commandment is you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Uh, one of the things that we can recognize is God doesn't give you his name in order that you would not use it. He gives you his name because he actually wants you to use it. He actually wants you to find value in it. He actually wants you to find help in it. And so as God gives you this gift, um, it's not just so that you would know what not to say when you stub your toe on the coffee table. Um, It's so that you would actually be able to find um, help and peace as God gives you his name to use for good. Uh, We're at paragraph 56, and we're about to jump in. Can I ask a question? Yes,
1: ma'am. You might have already talked about this, but can you speak... do the difference
0: in the old version of the commandment and the new version help me out cuz i'm a convert so i didn't learn the old version so you shall not take the name of the lord by god in vain you shall not take versus, the name of the lord by god in vain versus you man. shall not misuse the name of the lord your god um uh, uh, honestly it's it's um it it's just uh we've we've updated the translation because vain to us today um, doesn't necessarily mean that the full definition of the word. So if uh, today somebody's called vain, um, basically what, what that means is they just care too much about themselves. Um, vanity, though, isn't so much um, you just care about yourself. Vanity is, is something that is um, without consequence. Um, and so if vanity, vanity, everything is vanity, like Ecclesiastes would say. Um, it's not just that everybody's full of themselves. It's that everything is missed. Everything is, is vapid. Everything is, um, is meaningless. Um, and so when we say we shall not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, in other words, don't use his name without purpose. Don't use his name without good meaning. It's not that he, he doesn't want you to use it. It's that he wants you to use it for good. So don't misuse it, but use it. And in the same way, take the name of the Lord thy God, but take it for, for use, not for vanity. Take it for goodness and for virtue, not for vanity. Um, it's just kind of, um, misuse is one of those things where sometimes the church has to set aside language because nobody uses this is the word right sometimes honestly the church should probably grab it back because when nobody's actually using a word anymore nobody's misusing it so we can finally actually start to talk about a thing without a whole bunch of people screwing it up um I, there there might be something to the old language i'm i'm kind of a fan of it personally um but yeah that that's a good one awesome very good all right uh, also we're on paragraph 55 by my notes i apologize uh thank you all right um good anybody else Let's do it. Paragraph 55. Behold, all this is decking oneself out with God's name or making a pretty show or claiming to be right, whether it occurs in gross worldly business or in sublime, subtle matters of faith and doctrine. And among liars belong also blasphemers, not alone, but the very gross, well known to everyone who disgrace God's name without fear. These are not for us, but for the hangman to discipline, but also those who publicly traduce the truth of God's word and consign it to the devil. Of this, there is no need now to speak further. So in other words, when we start to talk about the second commandment being broken, we're not just talking about the people who swear to God in order to um, abuse commerce, who who swear falsely in the courts, who, who try and manipulate by sort of stamping God's name on it to lend credibility to their argument. We're also talking about the people who simply tell lies about God's name. One is for the hangman. Um, because it's, it's gross and, 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 um, awful. So when you go to court and you, you grab the Bible, you swear on it, and then you, you tell a whole bunch yeah, of lies, service. yeah. Or, or service or anywhere else where you might swear, um, uh, in the name of the Lord, and then you use it so that you can raise yourself up or lower down your enemy. Yeah, God will have things to say about that. But even more, the civil realm has things to say about that. Like if you get caught lying in court, bad things. Don't do that. Mm -hmm. Um, But even um, more subtle, Luther actually mentioned, are the the places where we simply twist God's doctrines around. We tell lies about who he is in in order to um, usually accomplish the same thing. So um, you see it. um, Like honestly, today's is probably God just wants you to be happy. Um, and, And it sounds wonderful. And it sounds uplifting and we sort of take God's name on it. And then anything that makes me happy, God is also happy with. And you see how I've abused his name because there's some of those things that make me happy that he says thou shalt not. Um, but also what about the things that make me happy that make you sad? Are those okay? Instead of God just wants you to be happy, God just wants you to be saved. Start there. And then recognize that some of the things that are good will make you happy. And some of the things that are simple they'll make you happy. Don't do those anyway. God doesn't want you to be happy at somebody else's expense. God doesn't want you to be happy away from him. He wants to actually be near to you, help to you. Um, and so we want to be careful how we speak about God's name. And that's why we're studying. Like That's the point of Bible study. So that when we invoke God's name, it's not that we shouldn't talk about God, but it's, it's so that when people ask us questions about who our God is, we might actually be able to give answer in truth. We might actually be able to point to something that helps instead of just sort of make something up on the spot that sounds nice. Um, this is a good thing. It's, again, not that we would talk about God's name less, but that we would use it for good. You kind of with me so far? Questions? All right, paragraph 56. Here then, let us learn and take to heart the great importance of this commandment, that with all diligence we may guard against and dread every misuse of the holy name as the greatest sin that can be outwardly committed. For to lie and deceive is in itself a great sin, but it is greatly aggravated when we attempt to justify it, to seek to confirm it by invoking the name of God and using it as a cloak for shame so that from a single lie, a double lie, nay, manifold lies result. So Luther says the greatest outward sin we can commit is the second commandment, not the murdering, not the stealing, not the adult, but, but simply grabbing hold of God's name and using it, he says, as a cloak for shame. Um, understand why he says it this way. So, What is the greatest thing about knowing the name Jesus when it comes to your sins? That you're forgiven. forgiven. Absolutely. The greatest thing about invoking God's name for truth and beauty is that he is merciful to sinners even like me. Understand what it is to use God's name as a cloak for shame. It's to somehow twist it around so that you're actually not seeking forgiveness in it, but the opposite. Justification apart from Jesus. The greatest outward misuse of this is to point away from the cross of Christ. Because even the thieves and the murderers who hung by him on either side of Jesus, they could recognize him for who he is. But to sort of grab hold of God's name and try and paint a Jesus who didn't die on the cross for sinners so that you might somehow hide your shame is instead of, of well, you wear robes of righteousness. Why would you need a cloak for shame? You wear robes of white righteousness, washed white in the blood of the Lamb. When we sort of grab hold of God's name and use it um, to to justify ourselves, when we grab hold of God's name um, in attempt to to, um, confirm what we're doing, instead of simply saying, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner, we're trying to grab hold of God's name and make it so that he didn't need to die for this thing. The worst thing in the world you can say about a sin is that Jesus didn't die for it. If Jesus didn't die for my sins, I'm in a world of hurt. If Jesus did die for my sins, I no longer have to be so afraid of them that I need to justify myself. I can simply say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. The whole point of the name of God is so that it would be a cloak for shame. Who are you? You are not what you have done. You are not even what has been done to you. You are somebody that Jesus loves. You are somebody that Jesus calls holy and worthy of love. That's the great thing about baptismal identity. Um, And here it's not rooted in fault at all. We do this thing with victims too. Um, we understand that there's a difference between guilt and, and shame, right? Um, a, at least outwardly, um, but, but in practice, we don't. So we've kind of talked about this, I think. Every once in a while, you'll come across somebody who is victimized, who is assaulted, who is, God forbid, raped or something like that. And the very first thing we always decide to tell them is it's not your fault. And they know that it's not their fault, but that doesn't make anything better at all. It's not that it's a question of fault. It's a question of shame. There's no guilt, but there's a lot of shame. And so here God gives an identity. You are not what was done to you. You are what was done for you. You are made holy in the blood of the lamb. You wear the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus, the name that every knee shall bow to, that's what you wear. You are worthy of laud and honor and praise because what you have is God's given identity. Holiness, worth, value, magnificence. It, it all comes from God's name. And, and so when we grab hold of God's name and we say, "I don't want to use it for forgiveness and I don't want to use it for, for um, holiness. I want to use it for vice." You're running from the cross, and that's, a, that's an awful place to go. Away from Jesus is not going to help, even if you yell His name while you do it. Does that make sense? No, that's, that was tricky, I know. <laughs> OK. Well
1: from the cross yelling Jesus.
0: Yeah, all right, my, my, my seven-year-old gets it, so we're cool. Uh, <laughs> y'all have any questions out there? All right, let's keep going. We're on paragraph 57. For this reason, too, God has added a solemn threat to this commandment. To wit, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. That is, it shall not be condoned to anyone, nor pass unpunished, For as little as he will leave it unavenged, if anyone turn his heart from him, as little will he suffer his name to be employed for dressing up a lie. Now, alas, it is a common calamity in all the world that there are as few who are not using the name of God for purposes of lying and all wickedness as there are those who with their heart trust alone in God. Um, Understand then that, that words have power. This is, uh, this is one of those things that um, we, we try and teach our kids not to believe, but it's true anyway. Um, we, we, we know that it's true deep down so thoroughly that we make up nursery rhymes to tell our kids that it doesn't matter when people call them names. Sticks and stones will break my bones, but words absolutely do hurt you. In fact, words are so powerful that when God wanted to make all that we see and touch right now, what did he use? He used words. Words matter. Words matter so much that God says, be careful how you use them. Names matter that God would say, be careful how you use them. What we're talking about is not trivial. Um, And so just because you see a lot of people lying in the name of the Lord and teaching falsely in the name of the Lord, understand it's a big deal. It actually matters how we, we relate to our God. It actually matters how we describe him to other people. It's awful hard to witness about Christ that his kingdom would grow if everybody already thinks he's a jerk. You know what I mean? Like if they've heard nothing but, but um, God hates you if you do this. And if you were really uh, somebody that God loved, you would have this. And all the other lies that we say in God's name, how much harder is it to relate to? This is, this is our problem with a lot of the mega churches out there. Um, it's, it's not even rooted in they have guitars and we have an organ. It's, it's deeper than that. Um, it's that in these churches they, they they lie in the name of Jesus. They they say if you just pray hard enough and give us enough money, all of your problems will go away, and you'll have a house as big as my house, and you'll have no problems, and you'll have a perfect family, and you'll have a perfect life. And there's been millions of people who go through those doors, and they they know the name Jesus. It's just they think he's a liar. That's that's something God actually cares about.
1: So, were you describing the megachurch or the Catholics?
0: I'm describing churches that teach falsely in God's name. Um, I'm, th- that one was a shot at the prosperity gospel because honestly, for, for what it truly is, um, that, that's done some of the, the, the greatest harm to, to Christianity um, it, it, outside of um, sword. I, I don't know a thing that's done a greater harm to Christianity. Um, the sword actually makes Christianity grow. It, it's funny. Um, if you want to go find Christianity thriving, just growing faster and we can actually train pastors, you go to Africa. Um, where, where there's all sorts of, of disease and, and war and, and bloodshed and fear, and the church can't train men fast enough there. We're baptizing millions. And if you want to go to a place where there's, there's supposedly no problems, you see the church starving. Um, but the, the churches that, that lie in the name of God, um, they, they set themselves up um, to make other people think that God's a liar. That's, that's not okay.
1: So, okay, so this is where my snarky comment was actually going from is Mm -hmm. okay the Catholics are honest about it they say pay us and um you can say your prayer for the money the ones that are that you're referring to they say pay us but you're still saved by grace so that's even more hypocritical
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) so um I forget who said it but um, somebody said that um, the, the Protestants inside of those churches and the Roman Catholics are more or less the same in practice, just without the fancy stuff. It's a question of whether or not you think the church is a thing. Um, so watch the prayers of the saints. So the Roman Catholics, they pray to saints in heaven. Um, but all the, the, the Protestants, they want the prayers on earth. Um, it, it's not that God is merciful. That'd be why we pray. It's that we, all, we need a whole bunch of people to pray for us. It's just that the Roman Catholics look on this side of heaven. In the same way, uh, the prosperity gospel, just like Peggy mentioned, um, the prosperity gospel promises if you just give enough, you will have earthly benefits. The Roman Catholics just sell it on the other side of glory. They'll get you out of purgatory faster. Um, If you just give enough money, they'll say the prayers that matter. Uh, Again, this is just, again, it's a question of are you buying something, whether or not be on this side of glory. Um, For us, the, the mercy comes from God and God alone, from his work. If you have to buy it, either on this side of glory or the next, um, that, that's not true. That's a good point. That was very insightful. I have a question. Yeah.
1: yeah. You know, I see a lot of posts on social media. I need all the prayer warriors today to come out and end the photo of life as opposed to one single prayer. Is there a mm-hmm.
0: difference? I'll tell you a couple of bible verses um so um when when you see all the the Facebook posts talking about you know calling out prayer warriors and, and um inviting this um versus the prayer of one person, is there a difference? Uh, the Bible says there is more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety nine righteous people who need no repentance. One sinner praying is enough to get all heaven singing that's just that's your scriptures um as far as prayer warriors um it's a it's a term that I'm uncomfortable with just because um we believe that the devil was defeated at Calvary, right? um Good. we believe that death was destroyed at calvary right so if the war is over who are you fighting when you pray wow <laughs> the problem wow. with with that kind of language is that I'm like
1: <laughs>
0: we've, I, i'm not trying to take shots but understand that there's this this um this impotence on prayer that almost makes god f- feel like the bad guy that you need to sort of pry something out of his hand If you need to pry something out of God's hand by your prayers, instead of him giving it in mercy, you're approaching prayer wrong. And and my concern with the term um, is is simply that if you think you're fighting God for it, you have the wrong idea about God. And if you think you're fighting the devil, you have the wrong idea about the cross. And if you think you're fighting death, you've got the wrong idea about the cross. Um, If God's already given you the victory in Christ, um, prayer becomes chiefly about comfort. When we get to the prayers here, um, one of the largest sections of this is going to be on the introduction to the Lord's Prayer, Our Father Who Art in Heaven. And our small catechism tells us with these words, God tenderly invites us to believe that he is our true father and we are his true children. So with all boldness and confidence, we would pray to him as dear children ask their dear father. In other words, prayer is about comfort, not stuff. Prayer is, is about reminding yourself who your God is, what he's doing for you. So that in the middle of all these things that are wrong, you would, you would find comfort and peace. Um, in, in other words, if uh, every once in a while, I'll, I'll see like the, the trite little bumper stickers and they're, they're always kind of aimed at sort of increasing our piety. One of them, I, somebody showed me once was, what if God took away everything you forgot to thank him for? Um, and like, I, I can say, you're right. I'm a horrible Christian. I would have nothing because I'm, I'm, but at the same time, if God really is my heavenly father, it would say more about him as a dad than it would about me as a kid. Like, honestly, what if I took everything away from my kids they forgot to thank me for? Um, you're right. I guess I could say that, you know, they could be a little more grateful, but my kids are wonderful. Um, what it would really say is I'm not a very good dad. I'm not a very loving dad if I'm only in this for the props. So, so in the same way, um, when it comes to all of these things, as we employ God's name, it's given as a gift. It's actually given to strengthen. So, so does that kind of get after your, your social media posts?
1: It does. It, it, not, not so much for me, but uh, I think from the explanation to others who maybe misuse the term and think that they have to have the entire world come to their aid when really it only takes one.
0: Yeah. So, I, I mean, and it's, it's one of those things where um, when, when you think you need people to pray for you, it's a recognition that two things are true. Um, so, first, we are the body of Christ and individually members of we pray for each other, um, because like Paul says uh, in Romans, uh, when one of us hurts, we all hurt together. When one of us rejoices, we all rejoice together. And so we've done this here before. Um, your little toe, when do you think about it? When you, hit the coffee table. when you hit your coffee table, your whole body cares about your little toe deeply. And in the <laughs> same way, um, when, when your brother or sister in Christ hurts, when, when somebody you love hurts and it concerns you, pray for them, because you want comfort, the same place they're getting comfort from. Um, understand that, that we're allowed to want comfort together because we're upset. We're scared for each other. We prayed for just now in church. We prayed for a list of a dozen people um, because every last person in those prayers, somebody close to us is losing sleep over them. The question that you have to ask though, is if we forget to pray, are you saying God only helps the popular kids? God sits in heaven and he's like, I would love to help you, man. But you know, you only have like 50 shares on that, that Facebook post <laughs> and I'm not getting out of bed for less than hundred. Um, if that's not the God of the scriptures, so pray for each other. If you're, if you're concerned, pray, but, but more than anything else, as you're praying, remember who you're praying to. Remember that yours is a merciful God who has already worked, who's already loved you. And quite frankly, who is working to help sinners before you came into this world to pray and, and will keep helping them until judgment day. Um, and then you can rejoice that people pray for you because that's people who love you and, and are concerned and actually want to find your help in God. And in the same way, all the scriptures, believe it or not, the scriptures in Revelation are very clear that the saints in heaven pray for those on earth. It's just Bible verses. I'm glad that the saints in heaven pray for me because they care about me and and want to see my help in God. I'm not super concerned that their prayers are worth more than mine. I'm not super concerned that we need to sort of all pull up together and gang up on God because otherwise he wouldn't help. me. There is more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't need it. So pray for your neighbor, absolutely. But pray to the God who loves you. Pray to the God who loves them. And then remember, it's all about comfort in the first place. <clears throat> Does that kind of get after it? Yes. Awesome. We're going to do a lot on prayer. Um, Lutherans take a, a unique perspective on prayer, um, especially because we, we've got sort of the two corners of the same actual place, which is the Roman Catholic way to pray and kind of the, the hyper-Protestant way to pray. Um, If you're trying to pull something from God instead of receive something from God, those are different kinds of religions. That's a good point. All right, anybody else got anything? All right, let's pick it up at uh, paragraph
1: 59. We're on
0: paragraph 59. For by nature, we all have within us this beautiful virtue to wit that Whoever has committed a wrong would like to cover it up and adorn his disgrace so that no one may see it or know it. And no one is so bold as to boast to all the world of the wickedness that he has perpetrated, all wish to act by stealth without anyone being aware of what they do. If then anyone be arraigned in the name of God is dragged into the affair and must make the villainy look like godliness and shame like honor. This is the common course of the world which like a great deluge has flooded all lands. Hence we have also our reward, what we seek and deserve. Pestilences, wars, famines, conflagrations, floods, wayward wives, children, servants, and all sorts of defilement. Whence else should so much misery come? It is still a great mercy that the earth bears and supports us. Um, in other words, it, it's a bad place down here. Even my dog does this. Uh, when, when my dog poops on the floor, uh, she hides um, uh, in the other side of the house. Um, all of us hide from the things we're ashamed of. All of us hide from the things that we're guilty of. Understand though that sin breaks stuff. The reason the world looks like it does is because we keep doing this stuff to each other. It would be a better place if we didn't. Um, but rather than sort of dragging God's name into it as sort of a, um, a way to sort of say, um, God wanted me to do it this way um, and nothing wrong here. Understand that God's actually unhappy about these things because he doesn't want to see you hurt. God wants his name involved in this conversation, but to point you for help, for forgiveness, for mercy not to simply keep shouting all the while, while while things burn. Are you kind of with me on this? Yeah. All right, 61. Therefore, above all things, our young people should have this commandment earnestly enforced upon them, and they should be trained to hold this in the first commandment in high regard, And whenever they transgress, we must at once be after them with a rod and hold the commandment before them and constantly inculcate it so that to bring them up not only with punishment, but also in reverence and fear of God. Now, again, you can sort of take issue with Luther's parenting style. Um, I'm not going to comment on that, but um, uh, whether or not you you want to beat your children with a rod, um, understand this is also the Luther who said, if I don't teach the catechism, please throw dung at me and not feed me. Um, he, he writes with, with a a certain, um, provocativeness that's, that's intentional. Um, he, he's just trying to raise your eyebrows. Um, but, but at the same time, what if we actually taught our kids that God wanted to take care of them and God loved them instead of God was simply a taskmaster that you had to appease? What if we actually cared, uh, um, to teach them the truth about God and not simply that there was one? Um, when these things are laid forth, uh, you see it. Um, you, you, can, you can make kids grow up to hate religion it's really easy to do y- you just tell them they have to and you never quite teach them why um, Luther's saying teach them and you can even be after them if you need to but actually raise them up in, in reverence and fear of God in a God who actually wants to, to be merciful in a God who's to be worshipped for right reason and not just out of, um, out of threat of punishment. Are you kind of with me? Questions, comments? All right, 62. Thus you now understand what it is to take God's name in vain, that is, to recapitulate briefly, either simply for purpose as a falsehood and to allege God's name for something that is not so, to curse, swear, conjure, and in short, to practice whatever wickedness one may. Besides this, you must also know How to use the name of God aright. For when saying, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, he gives us to understand at the same time, it is to be used properly. For it has been revealed and given to us for the very purpose that it may be of constant use and profit. Hence, it is a natural inference, since using the holy name for falsehood or wickedness is here forbidden, that we are, on the other hand, commanded to employ it for truth and for all good, as when one swears truly, where there is need and it is demanded. So also when there is right teaching and when the name is invoked in trouble or praised and thanked in prosperity of which is comprehended summarily and commanded in the passage of Psalm 50, call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver thee and thou shalt glorify me. For all this is bringing into the service of truth and using it in a blessed way. And thus his name is hallowed as we pray in the Lord's prayer. This we talked about last week, actually. Remember, um, go ahead. Would you, pass, would you uh, advance your... Oh, I apologize. Thank you. <laughs> uh, where are we at? We're in paragraph 63 and 4. I got away with it. I apologize. Thank you. All right. Uh, we, we talked about this, this last week, um, that this whole commandment is um, not about not saying God's name. The whole commandment is saying God's name rightly, which means are there times where you actually should swear to God?
2: Yes, when you join the military.
0: Yes, when you join the military.
1: Or we go to court, like
0: you said. When you go to court. So how about this? When you go to court and you were asked to swear to God, let, let's do it this way. Are you going to do it in service of truth and goodness? Or are you going to do this in service of self? Those are different. <clears throat> truth and goodness, swear on behalf of God for the sake of your neighbor. Um, employ God's name for good. When, when in, in service of country, I, I would hope again, this isn't entirely for self, but again, is in service of truth and goodness. Um, In the same way, um, did God give us his name so that we would talk about him less? Did he give us his scripture so that we wouldn't read it? He actually wants us to call upon his name, but for goodness. Not for evil, but for goodness. And so if you don't know a thing for sure, don't swear to God about it. Like, don't make God a liar. And if you're going to lie about it, don't swear to God about it. Don't lie. But find comfort in his name. And actually, let your neighbor find comfort in his name, too. Right?
2: There's a court even. That anymore? No,
0: the court doesn't always require that anymore. And you can use any religious document and you want to join to this. Yeah. I swear
2: or affirm. To swear to God.
0: Right. Um, but um, even, um, even now as Christians we deal with one another. Uh, understand who you are as a Christian in this world. Like when you go out and you make an oath, even on your own, because Christians are getting rarer and rarer, um, sad to say. Um, when I go out there, expect, like, so if I go and wear this in Walmart, I get looked at a lot, like uncomfortably a lot. When I wear this shirt in Walmart, everybody stares at me. So if I'm walking around in Walmart, should I um, throw things on the floor and yell at people while wearing this? What does that say about God? Um, And in the same way, um, when when we, however, use uh, God's name for goodness, for truth, for beauty, something good is actually supposed to come from. it. That's why he gave you his name in the first place. Y'all kind of with me? Yeah, yeah, Daddy. What, do you what is what? What is uh, mean? We'll talk more later, honey. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, um, we talked about this again at length last time. So we're going to kind of keep uh, plugging along. We're at paragraph uh, sixty-five, and we got some time. Let's do it this. Thus, you have the sum of the entire commandment explained. And with this understanding, the question with which many teachers have troubled themselves has been easily solved. To wit, why swearing is prohibited in the gospel, yet Christ, St. Paul, and other saints often swore. Again, that's not profanity. Um, That's um, an oath. So uh, our our English language, we sort of say um, to swear, to curse. It's all just four-letter words. To curse is to actually ask God to condemn something. So there's one curse word, damn it, yeah, um, because we actually want something to be condemned. To swear is to, to make an oath. You're talking about profanity. You're talking about vulgarity. Um, that's a different thing. Um, so so when, we, when Luther would say, you know, uh, Christ, Paul, and other saints often swore, we're talking about oaths here. We're not, we're not talking about vulgar words. You're kind of with me? All right. Um, the, uh, the explanation is briefly this. We are not to swear in support of evil, that is a falsehood, and where there is no need or use, but for the support of good and the advantage of our neighbor, we should swear. So again, not even for yourself, but you should invoke God's name for the good of your neighbor. For it is a truly good work by which God is praised. Truth and right are established. Falsehood is refuted. Peace is made among men. Obedience is rendered and quarrels are settled. For in this way, God himself interposes and separates between right and wrong, good and evil. So in other words, um, we can go back in time where God's name was used in court of laws, um, but even to, to recognize when, when God's name is invoked inside of this, well, if it's used for good of neighbor, it's actually to right creation, to keep good order, all the stuff that God actually wants going on in the first place, right? That's not a bad thing. Uh, are you guys kind of with me? All right, in paragraph 67, If one part swears falsely, he has a sentence that he shall not escape punishment. And though it be deferred a long time, he shall not succeed. So that all that he may gain thereby will slip out of his hands, and he will never enjoy it. As I have seen in the case of many who perjured themselves and their marriage vows, and they've never had a happy hour or a healthful day, and thus perished miserably in body, soul, and possession. So you can do this both temporally and eternally. Um, You can invoke God's name all you want to gain things in this world that you can't take with you into the next and it won't help you the way that you think it will but even just a recognition of how are you to use god's name luther here says use god's name for the good of your neighbor instead of the good of yourself if you're really going to take advantage of these things for yourself and your whole world is going to be about yourself your whole world's going to be really miserable selfishness does not breed contentment selfishness breeds discontent um, so honestly, if you if you want to take advantage of God's name for yourself, um, not only will that probably come back to bite you in the long run, but are you actually finding the peace that you thought you would find in that stuff? No. You kind of with me here? All right. Therefore, I advise and exhort, as before, that by means of warning and threatening, restraint and punishment, the children be trained at times to shun falsehood, and especially to avoid the use of God's name and its support. For where they are allowed to do as they please, no good will result as is even now evident that the world is worse than it has ever been. And there's no government, no obedience, no fidelity, no faith, but only daring unbridled men whom no teaching or reproof helps of which is God's wrath and punishment for such wanton contempt of this commandment. I really like reading books written 500 years ago that complain about all the same things that we complain about today. I'm so serious. Like, honestly, um, there's a great comfort in recognizing that Luther thought the world was about to end any minute. God kept it. And the same stuff we're going through right now and scared the world's going to fall apart because of, God kept it. I love reading Paul complain in Corinthians. Like, Corinthians is one of the most frustrating, uplifting books, because it's nothing but Paul writing to a church. A church, where there's nothing but evil being done. All sorts of awful things are being done. There's so much so that the reason that I knew that um, all the stuff that we think are so modern and progressive today was happening back then is because it was happening back then in a church to the extent that Paul had to write the church a letter and say, hey, you guys, you can't be doing this, knock it off. There's nothing new under the sun. But I love watching Luther complain about it, convinced that the world's about to fall apart because this is the world that God keeps turning mercy. And so when things look bad right now, we can acknowledge they look bad right now. That's not great. But at the same time, the God who kept it in Luther's time, he'll keep it now too. It, it's it's going to be okay, you guys. Are you kind of with me? Yeah. I like, I like old people that, that, that complain 500 years before <laughs> I thought to complain about it. Um, like, honestly, if the problem existed 500 years ago and we were terrified of it, we're still allowed to not like it. We're still allowed to call it wrong. But we, we can recognize that God has not allowed this thing to overwhelm us yet. Be at peace. He's still here. It's going to be okay. all right anybody questions so far all right let's do it on the other hand they should be constantly urged and incited to honor god's name to have it always upon their lips in everything that may happen to them or come to their notice for that is true honor of his name to look to it and implore it for all consolation so that as we have heard above First, the heart by faith gives God the honor due him, and afterwards, the lips by confession. So, actually pray because it's good. Simple. You all with me? Yeah,
1: Daddy.
0: Awesome. (laughs) (laughs) So, you can hear her, all right. Um,
1: (laughs) We missed the other comment that you're going to talk about later, though. I don't know.
0: I only have heard it, which is why we're going to talk about it later because I actually do want to teach them. Um, But if I can't actually answer it all the way right now, we we kind of do it later on. Yes, ma'am. I love you too. Um, All right, 71. This is also a blessed and useful habit and very effectual against the devil who is ever about us and lies in wait to bring us into sin and shame, calamity and trouble, but who is very loath to hear God's name and cannot remain long where it is uttered and called upon from the heart. And indeed, many terrible and shocking calamity would befall us if, by calling upon his name, God did not preserve us. I myself have tried it, and learned by experience that often such great calamity was immediately averted and removed during such invocation. To vex the devil, I say, we should always have his holy name in our mouth, so that we may not be able to injure us as he wishes. So in other words, the word of God chases off the devil. God's name really does do stuff. Um, if, if you want to get rid of the devil, pray the Lord's prayer. He cannot, he cannot endure there. It's God given. Um, if you want to exorcise somebody, uh, this is again, a place where, uh, the Roman Catholics and the Lutherans would, would, would slightly differ. Um, if you're a Roman Catholic, it exists inside of the ritual. Um, if you're a Lutheran, it exists inside of the word. The rituals are still good. They're useful, but only because they point us to the word. Um, so to a Lutheran, an exorcism is simply a baptism. Baptism and exorcism are the same. In Luther's old baptismal rite, which is actually in our agenda, it's not in our hymnal, but it's in the, the pastor book version, um, there's actually an explicit exorcism in the baptismal rite. It says, depart all ye unclean spirits and make room for the Holy Spirit. Um, where God's name is put on a person, and that's what baptism is. It's God's name being joined to water and then splashed all over you. That's an exorcism. The devil can't e- exist here. Um, I- inside of faith, where God's name is called upon, the devil has no power over you. Um, the, the rituals are not bad things. And so inside of our baptisms, for example, we give the kid a white garment, we light a candle. Um, there's, there's been others where, um, sometimes they blow in his ear. Um, sometimes they've used salt. Sometimes they've used, uh, olive oil. Um, all of these things though, they come with teaching. You are given a white garment because you are white, righteous, washed in the blood of the lamb. You receive a candle because you have Christ who is the burning light of the world. The, the blowing in the ear was the exorcism. Make room for the Holy Spirit, who blows like the wind where he wishes. Um, the, the olive oil um, was, was a chrismation, an anointing, a, a recognition that God actually cares about your body so much that he wants to see you preserved in, in all of its senses so that you even smell good. Um, the salt was, uh, you are the salt of the earth, and if the salt has lost its saltiness. All of those rituals are, are useful because they point. If you're not going to teach what they do, they become superstitious, and that actually becomes problematic like superstition is is god's name used where that you would try and control ritual is is simply you being pointed to how god is working and where and so i i like the white garments for baptism i like the candle for baptism but if you don't do those can you baptize a kid with just some water in the word yeah it's absolutely valid the reason that we have ritual is it's to stop and slow us down and point us to the word that's doing the thing um, so, to bring it then back to, to the catechism, where God's name is called upon from the heart, the devil has to flee because the power is in God's name. He actually wants you to use it. Do you think God wants you to have the devil around? You pray. It's simple. You don't, you don't need magic. You, you have a God who actually loves you enough to give you his name to be used for good. So, we actually, again, we see God's name being urged uh, upon us that we would we find hope in it, help in it. Y'all with me? Questions? Comments? Daddy, what do you mean? I mean that uh, there's people watching, and sometimes they have questions about things that I say, or they thought of something that I didn't think of, and they want to share it too. The grown-ups have things that they thought of and want to share. You and I will talk about the stuff you think of later, okay? It's cute, but yeah. All right.
2: So, Pastor, you you said that the victory is won, and I understand that, but we are still struggling here in mm-hmm. the great war between the devil and the righteous. And we oh. are called, we are called to put on the armor of God and to, to join yeah. in the fight. And that's, there was, you know, some discussion about prayer warriors earlier and yeah, it doesn't bother me. I mean, we do need to be warriors as, through Christ, with Christ's strength.
0: Mm-hmm. But that's just it, Walter. Yeah, you put on Christ, who is the armor of God. So in Ephesians chapter five, where it says, put on the armor of God, um, there's a recognition that the devil still prowls about, that there is still, um, there, there is still a devil here, and he's still a bad guy um, to but, you. But when we talk about the war itself, well, where did the devil lose all of his power over you? It, it was the cross. Um, now you actually have armor of God. Now you actually have a name of God that, that chases away the devil. And so, again, prayer isn't so much refighting a battle, so much as calling back to his mind the victory. Um, When when we start to to go through this thing, um, if you have to, for example, re-slay the devil in this life, you are not equipped, even with the armor of God. Um, If, however, the devil has already been defeated, what you are clothed in is something that actually robs the devil of his teeth. The lion prowls about seeking those who may devour, resist him. It's 1 Peter. There is a devil. He is a problem for you. But understand that if, if you are baptized, if you wear the armor of God, the devil has no teeth to you. Call upon, his, call upon the name of the Lord and, and watch the devil flee. Uh, and so, again, here what you have um, is a recognition that you are to remain in Christ, exactly like you said, uh, Walter. We, we don't want to, to set aside um, the idea that, that there was a battle, but at the same time, we never want to set aside that the battle's already done. That so when Christ said, it is finished, he, he wasn't lying. Um, it, right. Instead, then what, what plays out here are little echoes of that over and over again. Um, the, the, the devil understands that his time is short here, that he already lost. And so the only thing that he can do is, is try and direct you away from that victory. And in fact, that's where the devil finds all of his, 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 um, his munition against Christians. It's to try and pull them away from the place where he already lost. And so over and over again, he'll try so, and pull you from that victory.
2: So that, that is our warfare then to resist yeah. that, to absolutely. resist. So but, but we how? are, we are at war. Well, we call upon Christ and trust in him. We ask for the Holy Spirit yeah. to give us the faith to trust in him.
0: Right. And but so the scriptures is, then, then would say we he,
2: we struggle with our weakness. We oh, absolutely. Against our weakness.
0: We do battle against our weakness, but don't the scripture say he who fights for you is faithful. Um, understand that this isn't yours to do alone, and this isn't yours to do for Jesus. This is Jesus working, and that if you are in Jesus, you are a part of that victory march. Um, And and this is where Christian soldiers can actually march. Otherwise, we're carried. The only time Christian soldiers march are when we are in Jesus. Uh, Otherwise, like, what are you fighting for? Um, Of all the stuff that we've ever tried to build in this world in the name of Jesus, um, a, a lot of it turned to dust pretty quick. But but more, the stuff that actually endures, um, I, I, I would point again, it, it's to, to that which has already conquered the devil. The, the great weapons that you have been given um, are all defensive in nature. The, the whole armor of God is defensive in nature because Christ has already slayed the devil. You don't need weapons, you need defense. And, and so Christ is our fortress and our refuge. Understand that as the scriptures paint these pictures, they always paint them in terms of defense because, well, who did the offense against the devil? Jesus, that's done. Is that kind of, you're, you're right, Walter. I don't want to set aside the idea of spiritual warfare, but at the same time, I, I definitely don't want to set aside the victory we have in Christ as we start to engage in it. Right. Thank you. Fantastic. Yeah, and thank you for the clarification. That, that nuance is important. All right. Um, tell you what. Uh, I want to make it to the third commandment because we're, we're very close. All right. Let's, let's do 73. Uh, We've got just a couple of paragraphs, if if that's all right with you guys. Oh, yeah, we can do it. For this end, it is also of service that we form the habit of daily commending ourselves to God, with soul and body, wife, children, servants, and all we have, against every need that may occur, whence also the blessing and thanksgiving at meals and other prayers morning and evening have originated and remain in use. In other words, pray every day. Pray in the morning. Pray at night. Pray before you eat not because God will take your food away and not because praying makes it taste better, but because it's a good habit to be in so that you would continually return to God. Every time you see food, you think God gave that to me. Every time you wake up, you make the sign of the cross to remember you're baptized. You, you pray uh, Luther's morning prayer so, so you would remember all the stuff of the world that I'm scared of this day. God's got that under control. 74, likewise, practice uh, the practice of children to cross themselves when anything uh, monstrous or terrible is seen or heard and to exclaim, Lord God, protect us. Help, dear Lord Jesus, etc. This too, if anyone meets with unexpected good fortune, however trivial, he say, God be praised and thanked. This God has bestowed upon me, etc. As formerly, children were accustomed to fast and pray to St. Nicholas or other saints. This would be more pleasing and acceptable to God than all monasticism and carthusias and sanctu- sanctity. So, in other words, um, kids make the sign of the cross to remember that they're baptized and God protects them. It's, again, a ritual that points to a truth. This is not magic. This is not superstition. This is just trying to remind myself, God's protecting me. Like, like Walter said, I wear the armor of God. I'm, I'm okay here. And in the same way, um, when you receive something good, to say, God be praised. As soon as you see something good, thanks be to God. It's, it's again, it's a way to train yourself uh, that, that as God's name is used on your lips, you would be called back to, to goodness and truth and hope rather than pulled away from it by the devil. Are you kind of with me here? 75. Behold, thus we might train our youth in a childlike way and playfully in the fear and honor of God, so that the first and second commandments might well be observed and in constant practice that some good might take root, spring up, and bear fruit, and men grow up whom an entire land might relish and enjoy. Moreover, this would be the true way to bring up children as long as they can be trained with kindness and delight. For what must be enforced with rods and blows only will not develop into a good breed, And at best, they will remain godly under such treatment no longer while the rod is upon their back. Um, In other words, if you really want to yell kids into faith, you can do it until they're about, what, like 10? There comes a point in time where it's just not productive anymore. Um, If you really want to like beat the faith into your kids, they'll understand that this is something that that will be done out of fear of punishment. But as soon as the threat's gone, so is. But what if you actually taught your kids that God was a good gift giver? What actually, if, if you pointed to him as a source of hope, what if, what if you continually um, made this thing a, a blessing in your household? Um, we, we did this up north uh, in Nebraska. I said, if you can name six starting players for the Huskers, but you can't tell me the six chief parts of the catechism, it's because one was talked about at the dinner table and the other wasn't. And like, I can threaten them to memorize the catechism, but as soon as the threat's gone, well, I don't know, do y'all still remember it? Um, if instead of that, though, we, we continue to, to just show that this is a good thing, it actually has a manifold effect on our whole land. We, we talk about um, what it is to, to be a, a godly people. Um, a, a, and we start to recognize it, even just in the fact that we call our church our church family. A, a, and it's a wonderful thing. They're like I can show up out of Nebraska talking all weird and fast like, and you guys still treat me like kin. Um, that, that you help each other in time of need. It, it's a wonderful thing.
1: So in paragraph 61, he says use the rod, mm-hmm. but then in, in this paragraph, he's saying yeah. it may not be such a good idea. Exactly. See, under
0: he's being provocative. When he says use yeah. the rod, he's saying this is important. Yeah. But but he, he comes back around to it, and he says, like, if all you're going to do is beat your kids, they're, right. they're going to come to hate you. And as soon as you stop beating them, they're going to run from God, which also means they're going to come to hate God. Like, that. the reality is, if you associate God with punishment to them, of course they're going to want to get away from it.
1: Yeah,
0: like that's that's not a twist if you associate god only in terms of punishment with them as soon as they go to college they're going to do dumb stuff and not go to church because they're going to try and run from punishment on the other hand if you associate god with mercy whenever they need mercy what do you think they're going to look for yeah Yeah. this is our this is our hope in youth ministry and everything that we do what if god was a source of mercy that's fantastic all right, let's close up the, seven, uh, the second commandment so we can start uh, next week on the third. But this manner of training so spreads its roots in the heart that they fear God more than rods and clubs. That's what we just talked about. This I say with such simplicity for the sake of the young that it may penetrate their minds. For since we are preaching to children, we must also prattle with them. Thus we have prevented the abuse and have taught the right use of the divine name, which should consist not only in words, but also in practice and life so that we may know that God is well pleased with us and will richly reward as he terribly punished the abuse. In other words, again, the, the rituals, the, the practices that you have in your life, the way that you pray, is this a threat or is this a gift? If you treat it as a, a, a burden or a gift, they're going to be different religions. What if the things that we did in our faith pointed to the fact that everything we have is gift? That's a, that's a different religion. And that's one worth with, worthy of praise. What do you all think? Closing thoughts, second commandment? All right. Thank you so much for your time. Let's uh, pray as our Lord has taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you all so much for your time.
1: Y'all be careful going home. There's some storms.
0: I think we just heard a couple of them.
1: I was just saying, um, Sarah just sent a text or sent a text when she left, but I didn't see it because I was it. Mm. quiet, but she said there's the a minus one in here at the one thirty-five.
0: All right, hey, that's but where then, I get to drive. But
1: the, yeah, but the, the things that, awesome. that um, they reduce the from three hours to one hour.
0: Well hopefully.
1: I was asking did you get these for
0: CPH? Uh no, I got those um by everybody.